Let the games begin. By taking some time out of our daily lives to sit down and have a little chat. Chit-chat. Yeah, chit-chat, thank you. Conversation must be stimulating. There's still, you need a set of aesthetic guidelines to put it in social perspective, I think. Maybe what we need here is a fresh perspective. Fresh points of view. Stimulating conversation. I thought it would put things in perspective for you. Let's begin. All right! All right, welcome to episode eight. This week, we have a longtime friend of mine, Mike Zadarsky. We met in LA, and uh, today we'll probably talk a little bit about investing, gaming, and uh, social dynamics. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing? What's going on, Mike? Good to have you. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm loving it and uh, just ready to uh, put things in perspective, as the, the intro foretells. Awesome. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, basically, it's it's been kind of a, a crazy year from last year, uh, just kind of the, the whole coronavirus thing and uh, just kind of transitioning from a, a, a world of just, you know, going out, um, you know, hanging out at, at, at different bars, socializing at different mixers to a world inside of, you know, your own home office. And uh, <laughs> yeah, tell me been, about it been crazy yeah i feel like I, I will never spend as much time at home as i have in this last year like every nook and cranny so it's crazy yeah it's like and it's almost been a year like i i don't think i ever imagined it would have gone on this long like i think when i i had i remember like early conversations about it, it was like maybe six months like we'll you know like <laughs> oh how long how long could this possibly last and you know here we are basically a year later and there's not really an end in sight, is there? Like it's not- yeah, on the far horizon, I think. And it, I mean, the most interesting part, I, I think, in investing wise about it is basically you have to turn off half the economy. So you have like kind of an unfair competitive advantage. And then you have all this idle time from everyone else. So, um, but I, I, I do think in, in a silver lining to this, it, uh, it puts people in a position where they are now more cautious about the, the way they interact with other people, the way they, you know, clean and, and, and stay, uh, and, and handle proper hygiene. And the other silver lining in more of the business sense of things is I think that companies have to really pivot and innovate in so many different ways to sort of handle, um, the new sort of set of things. And so you have people that weren't, you know, in d- these types of industries or sectors or spaces or or working at these types of different jobs or positions now like pivoting into something completely new. And so I kind of feel that there is like a almost like a coronavirus silver lining to this. Um, one kind of fun fact about it though is uh, I, I was researching something the other day and oddly enough unlike like the the baby boomer sort of situation they're saying that uh, actually pregnancies has been down. Um from the coronavirus, which is ironic, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that that would be the case. I think, uh, yeah, definitely <laughs> an exception to the rule. I got a baby <laughs> on the way, so <laughs> yeah, it's. But it, but that's a good thing to point out too. Is like, um, like for I think for me and you know Peter, you two probably like a lot of people I know are are you know having having babies. It's like you, there's my cousin, uh, you know, my dad. But uh, I think it's it's like just because like locally, like whatever, whatever's happening, like kind of around me is sort of, it just happens to be going on. doesn't mean like what that's going on for like everyone else. And 
I think that's. I, I think it would be interesting to do deep dive into the statistics because I, I bet because like, like you're saying, I, I see like pregnancy is around me, but I bet the amount of people that were in relationships um, during the coronavirus that pregnancy rate probably skyrocketed, right? Like people that are already, but people that were single are not meeting anybody new. Nope. So they're not getting into, you know, that sort mm. of situation. So I think that that's maybe why, um, which there's probably a lot more people that weren't in relationships um, that were serious enough as opposed to well, people that were. And then that would be really interesting to look at more because um, I would also guess that, you know, if you lost your job or maybe you had your income reduced, that doesn't feel like a, you don't feel necessarily as safe as you did. Yeah. So it probably wouldn't be a, a time to, you know, expand uh, your family. So that could be another, it, it might be that if you didn't lose your job, right. And you're working from home and you're already in a relationship, you're, you're basically, I would guess that demographic is having kids. Yeah. And I, and I think actually for, for people in general, um, the, the dating world and the social world, you know, we are already kind of moved and integrated to a more like online based social environment uh, where communication has been constantly just through DMs, messages, likes, you know, even just, you know, liking a page is, is, is a form of communication in that sense. And, and I would imagine that just the, the lack of people's interactions <clears throat> with other human beings have got to make people, you know, very sort of rusty or or not as good as, as communicating with other people. Uh, and so dating must be kind of a, it, it definitely will become at least uh, a very funny sort of experience for a lot of people. Very awkward, I would imagine. Moving to yeah, this. Sergey, Sergey, you're single. What would you say? What's the vibe February 13th? <laughs> the day before Valentine's Day. Yeah, uh, that's perfect. actually a really good point. Yeah, it's... No, I, I, I just put a pause in it personally, um, you know, ever, ever since it kind of started, actually, um, doesn't mean, does not to say like, I haven't met a few girls kind of here and there it's, but it has been, it's definitely a challenge, right? Cause there's not like the usual places. Um, and yeah, I, I think like, is it like Instagram DMs? Like but but, I, but I guess as a previous data set, yeah. Sergey, what, what about the previous Valentine's Days in comparison to like this or like the previous mm-hmm. sort of periods around February as comparison to this? If you were single before and you're single now, is anything different or is it just the same? That's a great question. Uh, as far as, oh, I see what you mean. Like, so as far as the dating scene, you know, it's it's funny. There was a, um, there was a video I wanted to work on um, and and I got the raw footage for this. It was it was a bunch of interviews with different women about their online sort of dating experiences, and uh, just to kind of get like you know small sample size, whoever, whoever's kind of in my network, um, you know, I think I think people's general vibe about it wasn't great. Like I don't think people really enjoyed the online dating, um, but I also think like people really didn't like the online dating. And I've never been huge into like the social media, like DMs sort of scene. Cause I, I feel like there's a lot of that, like, like for that game, it's, it's like, you know, you need a lot of follow, like the people who like enjoy that and have fun are like celebrities or like internet celebrities or like influencer kind of level, um, people, you know, it's not, it's not really, it doesn't seem like, a, like average people do it as much. Um, I, I have yeah. to ask you a quick question. Um, cause I, I just, I just dumped 5% of uh, my portfolio in the IPO that just happened, uh, on Friday, um, have you used the app Bumble? <laughs> I'm just curious. Like, should I sell now or? <laughs> oh man, I uh, I typically don't don't get into a stock right when it IPOs. No, I'm just talking about the yeah. app, the, the app itself. Uh, and, are and you a user? Fun. 
As far as the app, I personally am not a user anymore. I have an account. Um, I don't think I've ever okay, actually so you, you've, date you've at least downloaded Bubble. an account. Okay, but you've you've downloaded the app. I, I like, yeah, but I've never had I, an actual like physical date from there. I um, and, yeah. right. I'll second that. So it's been ages, but uh, I had a Bumble account. I don't think I went on one Bumble date. It was the least. Uh, yeah, but Peter, that's because the girl has to contact effective. you first, and and I'll be I honest, know, it's if, awful. If... <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> that, that is exactly my point. <laughs> You're like, uh, so uh, date question yeah. mark? Uh, <laughs> no, like... I couldn't even message him. Right, like <laughs> oh, yeah, I gotta wait. Yeah, I just yeah, had to. Wait. I would I would match. Twenty four hours would go by, and then I'd unmatch. I was like, what's going on? Anyway, yeah. Um... Well, I, the only other stock on the stock market is uh, Match, uh, and Match.com is the equivalent of Facebook to the Snapchat. It's like a Facebook to Snapchat play, and uh, Match.com is a $45 billion market cap uh, versus Bumble, which IPO'd at, at $2 billion, and I think it's probably you know sitting around close to double that now because it, it it's kind of weird when it, it IPOs at you know, 43 and then uh, it actually doesn't come on the market for people to buy until 76. So my orders got filled at 76. But it, but I would say like a, a 3 billion market cap versus a, a 45 billion market cap. Now, granted, Match.com owns Tinder, Tinder. OkCupid. Okay they own it all, right? So they they are like the Facebook to the Snapchat play. But I think people are eager to get into new things. And when it's sort of a boring old thing, it it, it kind of it kind of shifts and pivots. So. I don't know. It, it, it might be an interesting. It might be an interesting play for me. But it. I, I was just curious on your own. Don't, uh, Mike. Do you remember? I think in LA we we attended some meeting with the one of the founders of Match, where yeah. we listened to a, a talk. That that was really interesting hearing him talk about the business because you know most businesses <laughs> you want to keep your customer and retain them and have them as long as possible. Right. And it, whether or not. It's true what he said, but he said, you know, our goal is to get people off our platform. And I'm like, is it like, right. That's a good marketing message. That's a beautiful marketing message. Right. Exactly. But I I was like, what a, but ultimately if they are successful, which there would be some degree of success, you know, they lose two customers for every successful, you know, product, right. Quote unquote, they put out, but I've heard that the, like the statistics, there's like, 90% 90% males to 10% females on some, most of these things. Yeah. And, and I, I remember there, there used to be some sort of, there used to be like a lot of uh, ratio data pulled from a lot of these. And I, I remember uh, uh, Kevin, when he was doing things with uh, data with, I think he had access to the APIs for Tinder and he, he was, cause you know, he's a, he's a data predictive and you know, he, he could, he, he basically can aggregate a ton of data, parse through the information and, and derive some information from it. And so I think, uh, he was playing a lot with that. And I remember him telling me a lot of interesting, like odd statistics that currently I don't remember now, but it, very, yeah, uh, very fun stuff for sure. I, I did a deep dive into that as well on people's findings. And it's interesting because they, at least for Tinder, there was some, some amount of gamification with it. Right. Like the first person that they show you, you won't match with. The second person is one you'll match with. And like, it was just enough so you will continue to open the app like regularly, right? Yeah, and, and it's like, oh, so you're gamifying you, serotonin and gamifying uh, dating. What do you guys think yeah, of that? I, like, just, just let's. I want I want to stay on that topic for like a second because there's there's something there's something to that, like focusing on the gamification aspect. 
you, you know, you know what's funny about that. Uh, before we get into like the the deeper part of that that topic is is me and Peter uh, earlier on in our our sort of businesses, we tried to uh, patent an app idea that was effectively gamifying uh, the, the communications with people via text message, phone calls, and emails. And Peter did the wireframing. And to be honest, it's still not invented today. It's it's a brilliant idea. I love it. Um, but it but it basically just allowed you to. Um, I was a promoter at the time and I had several, you know, I think I was up to like thousands. I, I think I had like 12,000 contacts at my peak. And so I had a lot of contacts and I was trying to organize it. Uh, and then on a smaller scale, you know, you have some people have not myself, but a lot of people have big families, like, you know, like really big uh, families and they might have them, you know, in a group on their phone or something, but they might not talk to the uncle or they might not, you know, interact with somebody or then on a smaller scale with your close groups of friends, you might not know, does this person respond to, to text messages better than phone calls, things like that. So we had integrated this gamified, like sort of plant growing system where yeah. it, would, it would show like your plant dying if you're, well, you haven't talked to your uncle. And so the, yeah, the, the idea behind it was like, how do you maintain and continue to have healthy relationships with those people in your life? And it was like, if we could get some sort of visual representation using like statistics, like how often... How long are the conversations? How many words are you sending? Right. And like visualize that with like we our initial pitch was a plant, which looking back at the things, we can probably find something better. But um, uh, yeah, it was the concept of using that gamification or data to continue to have like healthy and frequent communications in this digital age. Right. And you could, have, you could have gamified it further with like, you know, making it like you almost like you get points or whatever the situation. I mean, there's definitely a lot of, uh, a lot of ways that you can um, incentivize, you know, people to do that. I, I've heard of, an, you know, another app idea. Um, I, I don't necessarily think it was like the greatest of ones, but it was called uh, life awards. It was around the same time. I think a lot of friends, different friends were pitching me in, in actually different ways. It's kind of weird how people kind of think about the same idea at the same time, but effectively like uh, a gamifying app to, you know, Oh, you, you did this or you accomplished this, or you did like a social media sort of uh, uh, giving you some sort of positive reinforcement for things that you're accomplishing in your life uh, as, as small uh, as they may be. But yeah, I just wanted to briefly talk about that for a second before we get into the other part, because I, it was interesting because me and Peter actually worked on something similar to that. Got well, it. So if you, if you think about like there, the I'm sure there's other instances, but like Snapchat has your you know, top five or whatever, right. Uh, T-Mobile used to have your fate five. Um, right. So there's been like small endeavors in it, but I don't, there hasn't been a, like a serious all encompassing thing. And I think probably the hardest part now is there's so many different ways to communicate. Um, so yeah, definitely a challenge, but I'd use the product. Uh, yeah, so let's talk. Sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, let's talk. Let's talk about that gamification of, of dating. Well, I, yeah, I, I think I, I think uh, or or even I think more appropriate for the news right now would be even Robinhood because Robinhood is a gamified app for trading. It's the first kind of of its kind, and I think you know to some degree, even if you. Uh, consider like I grew up in Naperville, you know, there's that big thing on the news of the guy committing suicide uh, mm -hmm. on Robin Hood because and he came from Naperville as well from, you know, getting into this sort of gamified aspect. Uh, and you have like, you know, these kids on like Wall Street bets and everything. And and Reddit is kind of a gamified, you know, app in itself. And I mean, gamified to me, if I were to define it, 
would be any sort of app that gives you positive reinforcement, um, almost like, you know, a baby or a dog, uh, in, in for anything that you're doing within the apps, you know, protocol, like anything that you do, uh, giving you sort of a gamify. And when you buy a stock, I believe on Robinhood, although I haven't really messed with it recently, but I feel like the, I, I, or at least last I heard there's like, a um, what do you call it? fireworks that go off and it's oh, like God. you know it's like congratulations you now own a piece of this you know investment uh that kind of thing so it's it's interesting sure yeah it's uh you know i mean it's it that's an that's gonna be an interesting line legally i think in the next few years of like what's um you know because like casinos right their whole thing is bright lights, like flashing colors. It's, it's, you know, <laughs> it's supposed, it's meant to be this fun thing. Right. Um, right. You can make that argument again about like video games too. And, and it's, it's interesting to look at it that way, I think, because there's, there's some overlap between some of those things that you're kind of interested in. It sounds like Mike, like there's a, uh, like those, they're, they're, they're like exciting, you know, you, you, know, Socks, you know, what's like funny social uh, dynamics, about, yeah. about like taking a deep dive into like more of like wall street bets. And, and I was explaining this, to my stepdad, who's like a retired, you know, he was, a, he was a big, big time futures trader. And he, you know, was really involved with these things. And he, I'm trying to explain to him Reddit and, you know, Wall Street bets and things like that. But uh, when I was talking to him about it, um, he was really getting the concept. He, he didn't really, you know, he understand, obviously, like the basis of like, you have these people coming together, and they're all buying the stock. And, you know, it's a, and, and in his mind, it's just like a mania that, you know, will come and go. And, and, and that's that. Um, but in any sense, what I, what I was referring to is what's fun about Wall Street bets or what's different about Wall Street bets is they also gamify um, people losing money, like heavily gamify it in the sense that they are uh, celebrating the person that lost money. They are giving them titles in the Discord. They are, um, you know, they're they're reposting it. They're 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 sharing it. They're saying like, you know, they're they're making fun of it, but but. It, in a sense, it's kind of maybe giving the person that lost a lot like an extra sort of well, reinforcement because they they give you initially like if you if you do any position where you put your entire account or the majority of your account in you know they call it like a YOLO right and so they already give you like if it's a, if it's a sizable enough situation they give you um they they give you you know positive reinforcement for that um, and then you know they'll even go on if they're if they're big enough in the in the community they'll say okay, well, if it, they'll, they'll make these things, like if it hits this and I make this amount of money, I'll get a tattoo of Wall Street bets on my arm, you know, like things like that. Um, and so when those YOLOs turn the other direction and, and they wipe their entire account, uh, they almost like prop them up, like, don't worry, bro. Like, you know, you're part of us. Like we're still, you know, it's, it's weird, but it's gamified. I don't know. It was, it, it's, it's hard to explain. It's kind of like the modern day Jordan Belford, like company. Uh, you know, it's, it's, in, it, and it kind of goes back to what stocks or, you know, day trading has always been. It's, it's about swinging for the fences and this is just a way to find a community that does that. So yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. I, I think one of the more interesting things of Reddit, which I only recently started diving into, but, um, you know, how like on Facebook, you can check out somebody's page, but that's kind of a curated post of what they want to share. Yeah. And on Reddit, if you, it's really interesting because the way that you're, you're fed the information is by upvotes of all the users. But if you click on the profiles of active users, it very quickly paints a picture. 
And what I'm kind of curious about is how accurate that picture is. Yeah. Um, so I don't really post or comment all that much, but like, it's amazing how active some of these users are. Do, do you guys think that like the gamification of things uh, will start transitioning to areas that you would never think like something as simple as like buying food, maybe even ordering it or, uh, you know, just at any just general sort of modern day usage of, of whatever. Like, do you think like even like uh crowdfunding sites, you know, make it more gamified? Like, I don't know. I, I, I'm just wondering, do you think like how far can, can gamify like what else could you gamify like do you think it's just going to continue to to be this world where it's like we're, we're moving you know we're transitioning to a more online connected world where you know we're not actually interacting with people on a physical basis and, and we're kind of going into a more you know mental basis or a more non-physical basis of communication and i i think with that you know do you think there's going to be other areas that gamify well, I mean, I've never taken like a gamification class, but in my mind, if I break it down into a few things, it's some sort of points or some sort of action, right? It's data that can be tracked over time. And then uh, there's some sort of positive reinforcement loop in there to release serotonin. And so... Sergey, have, 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 have Sorry, since everything's being recorded now, right? Uh, there's an opportunity to gamify everything. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like, there, there's got to be, there's got to be some definitely different. I, I'm just saying, like, if you if you try to push, the, you know, your predictions out five, ten years, I, I really like doing that type of stuff. I used to be a big fan of Ray Kurzweil, who you know he's always been making these like big predict, predictive, uh, um, you know, foresights that's, into the future. And I, I would just have to say that there's, there's gotta be, uh, I, I would just imagine like a world where it's almost like, I mean, even with like automated cars and things like y- people are going to be able to, you know, be interacting like on games and internet, like 24 seven, like even, you know, they won't even have to drive themselves. They won't, you know, what's that black mirror episode where he's in that box. Yeah. All the walls are TVs. <laughs> and they have ads. Yeah. Uh, that was a uh, 15 million credits or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they gamified exercising. Oh yeah. Like everything he did. Yeah. I, um, well, I mean, there's, there's a lot of ways we could slice that question, right, Mike? Um, do you imagine, are you, are you asking, is it going to be more dystopian kind of in a bad way? Do you think it's just, it's just going to become more prevalent? Like what, uh, let's, let's drill down a little bit. Well, I mean, it, it, as far as like dystopian, <clears throat> uh, you know, br- briefly just odd, like, you know, the world's economy, like, is there going to be a big crash is like, you know, everything going to kind of go to shit. Um, I think that's, you know, that's always something that's in the back of people's minds, you know, our artificial intelligence and things like that, especially, I think that the, not necessarily the more intelligent the person is, but the more intelligent of, uh, they are at looking at, you know, all of this, this different information and data, the, the more you deep dive into how powerful something really is. Uh, I think like, for example, I mean, I know it's off topic, but you know, e- Elon Musk was describing like, you know, if artificial intelligence were to take over the world, it wouldn't be, you know, Terminator style robots. It would be a artificially intelligent, uh, financed, you know, trading bot that realized, okay, well, the fastest way for me to make money would be for me to, you know, 
I don't know if I'm I might be butchering what he said, so just don't take it with a grain of salt. But basically, you know, sending emails, like hacking into an email, sending it, you know, from Russia to this, you know, to that, to this, and then going long on defense and shorting this, you know, like, but just purely on a, 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 you know, a method to make as much money Mm -hmm. as possible, it's not realizing that it's causing, you know, an entire war. Uh, So as far as like a dystopian future for gamifying, I don't think that that's going to be the case. Uh, but I, I, I do think that uh, I think positive reinforcement in a lot of areas, I mean, especially like Peter mentioned working out, I mean, they're definitely great. Uh, I've always really wanted, I mean, I started a video game company, uh, but in the back of my head, I've always wanted to do uh, a gaming company that taught languages and that taught education in a gamified fashion. Uh, I became really good at math when I was really young. Um, and then in high school, I ended up just doing very bad. But by my freshman year in high school, I was in advanced calculus. And I, I mean, if I would have taken that forward, I would have you know, been very powerful. But one of the things that got me was in elementary school, there, there was uh, a video game that we were playing on our computers. Uh, I think it was like Math Blaster. And there was another one. And, you know, you're, you're using math in a video game. And man, it got, I would loved it. I mean, I really I loved that. it. Um, it was a great yeah, game. it was great fun. Yeah. Um, and so I think gamifying education would be something I, you know, if, if I can get, you know, this gaming company off the ground, uh, I definitely want to uh, have an aspect of it that is gamifying education. I think that that's very powerful for the world. Um, I think in general, um, gamifying certain aspects in life are great. I think it's, I, there's definitely something there. So like my brother has a one-year-old and he showed me this really interesting app. Um, but basically, you know, an iPad super engaging for kids and the way that they've ramped up the progression, each one of these activities is like, he's learning spelling, he's learning math, he's learning his colors. He's a, he's one year old, but all he has to do and all he really wants to do is touch this iPad and play the games and move forward like and it's like geez if you had a if you had a nice ramp you know a, a well-defined education ipad app like who like who needs a teacher you know like you just need somebody to help the kids like stay on task but if you let them run they they could really advance quickly yeah i i was just talking to my coworker on friday um and he was telling me how, you know, his kid, uh, basically I was like, Oh, you know, you guys got the PlayStation five. Cause I don't have the PlayStation five. And he's like, yeah. Um, but you know, Ryland's not playing any games this week, uh, because he's going to get $40 if he doesn't play any games for the week. But the, the fun part, the funny part about the situation is that Ryland has already said, I'm going to take that $40 and I'm going to put it on games but he's consciously thinking of how he wants to spend the $40. So he's got like his Roblox things picked out. He's got his whole, he's done research on it. He knows exactly what he wants to pick. And so he's going to use that $40 to buy, you know, you know, certain different things, but he, he was able to understand like, okay, I'm not going to play the games for a week. I'm going to get the $40. I'm going to use the $40 and consciously do it into this. And I think there's definitely something there that people are just doing in general, sort of gamifying that the way that they're, uh, you know, maybe educating it and, and bringing up their kids. And I think that the way the technology is kind of integrating with things, um, it, it's making it a lot easier um, for sure. That's interesting, that method, because it it's, kind of instilling, I think, a more blue collar mentality, 
like you're going to get X amount if you just wait this period of time. And yeah, it is a blue collar thing, right? Yeah. And like the way my parents would give us money is we didn't have an allowance. Everything, if we wanted something, it was all task or chore based. So it'd be like, oh, you want, you know, to get a hundred dollars, right? And it's like, I'll give you a list of things that I would eventually, I'll pay you, you know, $10 for this, $10, blah, 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 right? right? And it's just like a series of chores. And it's like, you can work as much as you want to get those things, right? And then whenever you stop working, you stop making money. Yeah. And then, so you can- So you guys had a gig economy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I think it's more, yeah, it's a gig economy, yeah. Yeah, 100% a but, gig economy. One thing I did when I was like 10 or something, or maybe younger, is I started a bank with my siblings. I have six younger siblings. So I was like, hey, like, give me whatever you have. And then we can turn around and we can put this like into something bigger that we all want. Right. Um, so that was that was interesting. Um, I think I ended up misplacing the money, though, and that was terrifying. I want to talk about uh, that for a second, because I, I remember reading something a while back and I don't know if anything like jumped up from it. Um, and I don't exactly remember it, how it worked, um, but just the idea of it, which was um, so your gig economy system, but the way that it worked, it was an app that gamified that, but then it took the money and it it put it into you know various long term investments. So it was it was basically like gamifying the fact that you know this kid is like doing these things and then um, getting like shares of something you know and. Mm -hmm. uh, it was it was a really interesting thing that it was it was talking and this is like way I mean I think this was mentioned in the news something like five years ago but it was talking about how it was getting these people started with um, you know long term investing as a little kid and having them understand how to you know get you know so like they would get paid through the app from the, for doing the chore or whatever and they could spend it on this or they could save it in the app and it, like it gamified the whole thing I, to be honest like the idea when I originally heard it. I think it was a brilliant idea, but I don't think it was like well-rounded enough. That's why I probably don't remember all the specifics, but I think there's definitely going to be a gamification for investing for younger people. Not like, you know, in terms of like a Robin hood scenario, I think like in terms of like a, a kid scenario, I think, you know, and, and I don't know like the, the specifics on laws with it, but I would imagine that there's definitely going to be a, a much, much younger generation coming in uh in some scenario or another well it's kind of interesting like you could take both aspects of it right so you could take the gig economy and then as a parent i mean you don't need to build a whole app around it but you could say all right you do these gigs right you get you get money if you wait a week and leave and invest the money you know into the family account or whatever right, right? which doesn't have to be even invested i would just say i'm going to give you a 10 percent return in a week right, right? which is a crazy return, but it gets them understanding like, you know, I put $10 in, I'll have $11 if I just leave it in there. Right. right? Or, or $40 and, so, and 44, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but they were just $100 or 10, whatever. Um, but then they, they go, wow, I just made $10 by not doing anything because I have my money invested, right? Right. And then if they figure out, okay, if I take out eight of those dollars and I leave it in another week, right? It's just going to keep snowballing. And I, I was never done... No one ever did that with me when I was younger, but it'd be really interesting to see if that substantially changes, you know, their, their habits for future. Yeah. It's the, and it, the marshmallow test. You guys know the marshmallow test? 
Yeah. Yeah. But so poor thing about psychology experiments is like 60 or more of them, 60% of them are, they can't, uh, duplicate the findings. <laughs> so, uh, Marshmallow test is. I mean, but that's bonks. just a, the, you just threw a fucking random statistic out of your ass right I'll there. I'll find it. I'll find it. Sixty <laughs> percent like of the uh, host. Ninety percent of uh, all. What is that? The what, what's that fucking movie? Gosh, they're made so up weird. on the spot. You know, but what's the movie with Will Ferrell? Uh, oh god, I was dying. Ninety percent of uh, something is, or a hundred percent of I don't know. Fuck, what's the name of that movie? Anchorman. Uh, gosh, damn it. That was so good. All right. Anyways, actually, speaking of that, uh, I, I want to pivot into it, uh, one of the talks talk, so I did want to talk about that has actually really changed my entire mentality of investing. Um, and this year has made it uh, the most successful year I've ever done in trading uh, so far. And it it was a concept. So I think a lot of the more professional like traders, they, they, they do a lot more like a longer term strategies that... Uh, have consistent sort of payouts. And, and one of my friends um, that I've known for a long time, what he does is he, he sells options. Um, and, you're, what, and what an option is, is it's a contract to buy a hundred shares um, of a given, you know, you know, a given equity uh, or future. By a certain date. Right. By a certain date. And by selling a contract, um, you know, you're basically making uh, the rate of decay to the to the expiration date, which is called the th the theta. So th they call these investors the theta game. But in any case, um, it it is a very slow way to make money, but it's guaranteed. It's pretty much guaranteed money uh, because you can like uh, as we were joking earlier with the uh, Smucker's situation, you can look at su support levels of different. Uh, although there's not enough <laughs> volume on those options, but if you find something with a lot of volume, uh, let's say GameStop for example, that was like a uh, a bigger stock you could have if if you wanted to trade options on on gamestop um the smarter play would have not been to buy puts on it because the iv uh volatility of the stock is so high that you would have to uh reach a very a very aggressive destination for you to actually even start making your first dollar so to to give an example if gamestop was at a hundred dollars and you bought a put on it uh, regardless of whatever the expiration date, obviously the the IV is, the IV is going to be consistent. So, but the 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 price of it, the premium is going to be different. But if you bought puts on GameStop at a hundred dollars, right? Because of the IV, um, let's say those options had a premium of twenty dollars, which would mean uh, twenty dollars times a hundred shares would be your cost for you to start making money on those puts. GameStop has to go below eighty dollars before you make your first dollar. Now that might not sound that crazy. I mean, it's oh, you know, it, it's going to swing. It, it did go below eighty dollars, so you would have made money on it. Yes, you would have. But in a lot of case scenarios, that's a very dangerous game you're playing because for a stock to go from a hundred to eighty before you make your first dollar is a very, very aggressive plan. Um, and so what a lot of people do is they sell the options. So you could sell a call, meaning somebody that's betting GameStop to go to three hundred. And in GameStop's scenario, there, there, there were calls very out in the future, right? So you could have sold it, if you wanted to really make mad money, you could have sold it at $110. And then, I mean, you would have cleaned up shop. But let's say you even go farther at $300. It, every day that it doesn't reach its destination um, and it's not going closer to its destination, you're making money. And if the IV is high enough, and in the case of GameStop, I'm, I think the IV ranged from 300% 
to 400%. And to give you a perspective, uh, Verizon probably trades, trades in the range of like 40%. So an IV at, at that rate is so high that it's basically like an insane amount of free money, right? So you're making money every single day um, on the fact that it doesn't reach whatever options you want to do. Um, and so there, there are certain scenarios in which uh, somebody can make money doing it the other side of things. And I, I guess what I was saying about that is, uh, so I got sidetracked, but what I was, what I was, my, my entire initial point is what really made me successful this year in investing was understanding how compounding interest works. And my friend who was, you know, selling options, he basically was able to like mathematically sort of, you know, chart it, not mathematically, but just looking at data and, and chart out what his gains would be. And his target was 5% a month. And people are like, oh, well, 5% a month, man. Like, look at these stocks. They're moving 15 to that. But they don't really look at the compounding interest of it, right? So I, I put a chart together. I was like, that's a that's a fair you know, thing. So I put a, I put a whole spreadsheet together this year. Uh, and I set it at 1.112% per week, 5% a month, 82% a year. Charted the whole thing out for the year, right? So my goal is 1.12% a week, right? And by putting it in that perspective that I can go into positions, as long as I'm up over 1%, I can get out of all my positions and I just hit my target for the week. Like a mini gamification for myself. But but allowing myself to not look at it in the perspective of, oh, I need to make all this money right away, right? And looking at the compounding interest of itself every single day, you know, as long as you're a little bit positive, right? That's why these, this theta gain gets, you know, that's why a lot of these guys do it. Because even if they're making 0.25 a day on their portfolio, the compounding interest of it is insane. It, it, it gets a really, really, really high return. Um, you know, and like my friend, I mean, his, his theta, he, he's, he's making like, you know, something like, I don't know, it's like 2,500 a day on that, not to count his other investments. Right. So 2,500 a day, I mean, he has a lot bigger portfolio, 2,500 a day on, on theta plus, you know, his other investments. And on top of it, he, he's showed me, he's only trading with about 15 to 30% range of his portfolio. So the rest of it is in cash. In his in his in his brokerage account, so he doesn't even have to risk anything to leverage it. And the reason he keeps it in cash is in case like something goes bad, or he needs you know he needs to fill in these orders, or if there's an opportunity that he wants to jump on. But it's it is a beautiful situation when you look at the compounding interest of it. And the reason again, while I was describing that, is one is looking at like a kid starting an investment account at that young of an age. Um, would be the most insane compounding interest by the time they hit, you know, my age or your age. And just me doing it on a weekly basis uh, this year, uh, I have able been able to return. I, I'm, I'm fucking so happy about it. In the last six weeks, I've hit 43% return this year. And I'm averaging 5.62% a week right now. And so, so you're, you're way ahead of schedule. Way ahead of schedule. And I'm, I'm tracking it every single day. And literally, I'm just trying to eke with just a positive value every day. That's it. Just a little bit of a positive value every day. And I have super tight stop losses in certain situations. I mean, I don't need to really get into it, but I, I changed my entire game. Last year, I, I look at my chart of my investment account 
And actually, there was some painful moments in there, but I look at it now and it looks just flat. It looks like a flat line. But those there was like little pivots in there where I was so depressed, you know, like going from this number to this number and, uh, you know, looking at that, I was so depressed. But what I was trying to do is I was like, oh, I was going through different charts. Oh, this is going to go up. I'm going to buy calls on this. Oh, I want to get into this stock. Oh, but it already ran up. Who cares? Like, I just want to get in this one. I want to get in that one. I need to make money now. Oh, it's going up. I need to jump in now, you know. Oh, it went down. Just hold on. You know, like things like that. You know, you're not, you don't have a game plan. You're just trading on pure speculation and emotion. You're just straight gambling. And it makes it a very sort of painful way to stra- to trade as opposed to having like tracking it and, 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 and having like a very set system. Um, but that, that was, that, that was just kind of a, a long rant, but it, it tied into the fact that if a kid started investing like with an app, even if it was like $40 uh, for some chores and like, even if it was like $50 a month, I mean, the compounding interest of it, people don't realize like it is actually fun. It, it is so insane how fast it goes. Um, a couple of fun little anecdotal points, right? Einstein said compounding interest is the eighth wonder of the world. And then another I never really heard interesting. That. Yeah. And then another really interesting uh, chart to look at is Warren Buffett's net worth uh, over time. And he's not, I don't think he was putting up 82% a year. Right. Because you can't uh, as as your portfolio grows, but um, you know it's really crazy to see uh, his biography is titled Snowball, and that's that same idea. You know, you just keep rolling that snowball, and it just it's gonna it's gonna get huge uh, if you just let it compound. And and if you look at a stock like Tesla, right, like you're like, oh my god, this is the most insane gains ever. But on a daily basis, like on a daily basis, even if it only had like a 1% uptick. And then the next day it had a 1% uptick. Well, people probably are not realizing that that 1% uptick is now off of the number previous, right? So that 1% uptick is now a lot larger of a 1% than the previous 1%, right? Cause it's compounding over itself. It's not, it's not telling you 1% of the number that it started from the year, right? No, it's, it's 1% of that number. So but I guess what I'm saying is, is it, it's pretty, um, on, on, on like a daily basis, if you were to only look at your your investments on a daily basis and look at it, it like a Tesla situation, which is obviously super impressive, but on a daily basis, it's not like Tesla is like ramping up every single day at like these massive numbers, right? It, it just has to tick up a little bit and, and be positive every like, you know, every week, every month and, and compounding over itself, it it will become like a parabolic chart, you know? Um, and, and, and that's why it is pretty interesting on like how that sort of aspect works. And when I change my mindset and to me, it doesn't really make sense because it's, it's kind of like such a simple concept, like by just thinking about compounding interest, how did I just change my whole like methodology and moving into the new year? But for some reason, just doing that and then going into like investment calculators and, and, and realizing like, wait, if I actually just hit these numbers, then I'm going to be way beyond what I really want to be by the end of the year, you know? So anyways, um, that was just a point I wanted to talk about in, in far as that goes. Sure. Compound interest. Uh, there's a great quote, I think from Albert Einstein about it. Um, I think it's Albert Einstein. I hope I'm not misquoting him, but that it's, you just, huh? Make up. I just quoted that. No, (laughs) I just quoted that like four minutes ago. The, the, what, that it's the most powerful 
the eighth Which, wonder of the world. No, Sergey's saying something different, Peter. You don't have to cut him off. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> no, just that it's it's the most like powerful force uh, known to mankind. Like in in the context of, I think they were talking about like nuclear power or something. Um, and it and it really is. I mean, it's it's really um, going back to Ray Kurzweil, who you mentioned. Um, by the way, he actually he works at Google. Uh, yeah, go- and- uh, engineer, head of engineer. I don't know if what he's doing now though. Is he still doing that? You know, I met I met one of his um uh one of the folks who worked under him and just had lunch with him, just kind of pick his brain. And um, yeah, he's still working on the AI stuff, working on like the neural networks. I think he um we we can get into that, but like yeah, he's 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 pivoted a little bit, but he the man touches all kinds of crazy tech and and research. So you know, he's he's got his hands in a lot of different uh, projects. Director of engineering since two thousand and twelve. Yeah. Don't know what department. Yeah, it's uh he yeah super interesting guy. But um but he but he talks about um going back to the compound interest thing is the um, human beings just we're not naturally good at thinking in these exponential ways and and compounding ways. We think very linearly. It's like one percent per day after thirty days is we think it's thirty percent right, but it's right. not because it's it's more. It compounds on itself. And, and a lot of things in the world really, really act like behave that way, right? It's why people underestimated social media at, at first or the internet, you know, it's why, it's why we tend consistently underestimate the impact of, of things that grow at some kind of fixed, exponential rate. Yeah. It's, it's some, some kind of rate, right? Some kind of like fixed rate. Um, but so many things in, you know, society and nature, they grow at exponentials. Um, corona corona exactly and and, and i mean like in in a stock point of view um and you know kind of you know uh in relation to like what the the guy was saying uh in the previous podcast you know the the retail investor you know doesn't really necessarily have a chance uh versus two hundred thousand professional um you know traders um and i i would say now is probably the one time in history where that is like not even close to true it's not even like remotely true. Like the retail investors um, have a pretty significant advantage uh, in the sense that they are able to make their decisions without any other influence. They, they don't have to sit there and report to shareholders. They don't have to uh, manage, you know, these sort of situations that, you know, these bigger firms really have to pay caution to. Um, and the, the biggest thing that I, I've, you know, been noticing and a lot of, you know, very famous, intelligent uh, finance people have been, you know, talking on is the people these days. Uh, and, it, it, you know, if you look at actually what happened with GameStop, the, if you look at the uh, DD that the guy did um, uh, when he wrote the initial, you know, proposal for getting into GameStop. Uh, and, value. Yeah. And he talks about Michael, you know, the guy from the big short and how like he put a big investment on GameStop. And he, and he, he talks about like all of the, he goes through all of the analysis from it and whatever anybody's referencing to is the, the people these days with technology have access to data at this, like they have access to so much data, like with these websites. I mean, I'm subscribed to a bunch of different ones. Some are just free. You have access to everything. I mean, you have so much data that you can pull as a retail investor that 10 years ago, you would have never dreamed. 10 years ago when I was trading, I was just using Seeking Alpha for news, right? I have to buy off of fundamentals. Now I have algos and, and indicators and, 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 and I can see inflow. I can, I can look at the dark 
the dark pool and see the trades that are going in before from the big firms before they're even pushed, right? Like I could see all of the different ways that these individuals are trading and I can aggregate all this data uh, to make an informed decision. And so I would say that the retail investor has a lot of power right now. Um, and if you if you just if you guys want to just take a second and Google the M1 money slot supply and the M2 money supply, you guys will notice that right now there has been a massive influx in cash. And I, I know from like talking around my peers that this GameStop situation, uh, first of all, at the beginning of the year, there was a bunch of people that bought into the, the stock market. Right after the GameStop situation, I know five of my friends that have never traded their entire life who have jumped in to the stock market. And you're going to have over the course of the next six months or so, you're going to have a massive influx of new traders coming into the market, putting their cash on the table. And all of that, whether if they buy an option that's completely dumb and it's a bad decision, you could be the one that's selling that option. If they're pumping a stock and you know buying it at the top, that's that's gains on something that you were holding that that realistically shouldn't have gone that high. And if so, oh, sorry, I have I have a question for you on that. Yeah. So uh, M1, M2, maybe if you wanted to dive into what exactly that is a little bit. But from my understanding, it's just more money that the federal government is putting into uh, assets. Well, I mean, I'm, I, I don't really want to get into. I'll, anyway, so okay, I'll okay, continue my question. So with them putting more money, uh, federal government's putting more money into assets. Um, you know, there'll be some sort of stimulus check in the coming months. So people will have, you know, they'll, they can either pay down debt or maybe they invest it. Uh, PE ratios for stock market are quite high. And you know, if what you're saying is correct. So, so the, M, the M1 is the cash and checking deposits, right? While the M2 is the saving deposits, money market uh, securities, mutual funds, and time deposits. So it, it's not it's not specific to the Fed, right? It's specific to how much people are depositing um, into, you know, cash, checking, and deposits or accounts that is, the, the M2 is specifically is easily convertible. Right, it's it's easily convertible money. So no, it's not it's not like what the the stimulus packages are pushing out. It's what money is is is, is pumping into the market. Uh, okay, and so, it doesn't have to be the stock market, right? But it, it's money that is well, is, is, is readily available. Being invested. No, it doesn't even so, have to be invested. It could be in a savings account. It could be in a checking account. It could be. It, it's but it's just money that's available, right? It's right. It, and 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 I would and the last point I just wanted to mention is. The fact that people were in this coronavirus situation, some of them, even though you know there's a lot of people out of jobs and things like that, a lot of them didn't have situations to spend money on. You have people that would have spent money on you know this trip or that travel or this situation or that situation, and now just have available cash that they that they have not spent. And so what they end up doing with it is ideally because of the news and everything else. From, from my perspective, is they're pumping it into it. I mean, at a certain point, Robinhood was running 50% of all of the investments in the stock market. I mean, 50% from one, Jesus. you know, so it, it it gets to a situation where, um, and I don't know if that's like a daily thing or like, I, I, maybe that's just new money, like just like, you know, volume, right? That might not be, that's obviously not the aggregate of the, the whole thing. That might just be like new, new purchasing. But I guess what I'm saying is like, if, if the, all of these kids are, are coming into the investment 
and and they're they're the ones with the the pumping this average volume, right? I'm not talking about like long term holds and and how much money. Like obviously, if you take the entire stock market or whatever, and you you have these people, there's more money outside of that. But I'm saying like for the first time ever, I would say the the 99 that is you know that not the one percent, but the 99 percent that that is putting these ten thousand dollars in actually has a really good shot at um going out there taking the data uh, and, and making smart decisions, whether it, it could be with real estate, it could be with anything, but in general, they, they have access to information, um, that people just didn't have to before. So question for you okay. year from now, February 13th, 2022, will the stock market have experienced, uh, 30% or 40% decline in between now and next year? And would you guess it will be uh, where it is today, lower or higher? Okay, I, I mean, I, I think one of two scenarios could happen in the short, near-term future. Um, long-term future, um, I mean, if I, if I had to put all my money down, I would, I would definitely say it would be significantly higher than it is now. Um, there, even though everything is, quote-unquote, overbought, doesn't, doesn't actually make a difference. It's not, it's not like in the world of like where we were before, where there's a situation where there is this amount of money and this amount of stocks. And so if these things are overbought, then, you know, this is, it's not, we're not like in the dot-com boom scenario like we were before. Right. And, and the reasoning is, is the fact that the, the money that is coming in right now, or especially like, you know, the situations, if you've looked at the last, you know, couple of weeks, uh, actually, if you're looking at the, like the mega caps, like the, the Microsoft's, the Apple's and the Facebook's, their performance has actually not been that phenomenal over the last six weeks. So if you would have just had your money sitting in that, um, you wouldn't have had the forty-two percent you know, returns that you know I was just you know speaking of. So it's not. Although I do own those three you know positions, but I'm saying like you don't. The, the mega caps aren't overbought in my in for my technical analysis. Like they don't look super overbought to any degree. So so what is overbought then? Well, what is overbought is there's a significant amount of companies, especially some that. Are are absolutely probably you know worthless to some degree, or their their balance sheets uh, really don't have uh, that much to ride on. Or like I'm very into robotics stuff. Like if you look at like the some of these robotics companies or medical robotics companies, I mean they're pretty much dead under the water. But um, or, or or like some of these cannabis companies that are just like yeah, those are overvalued, right? There's there's these things are getting pumped, and those things are are going to crash. It's not like all of these things are going to stay overinflated. But will the entire market be brought down? No. I mean, I would say in the short term, we might have a crash, right? I would say 40% chance we have a crash, 60% chance we don't. The 40% chance I would say is I think now after the GameStop scenario is that these major head funds have been flowing their money into more micro and nano caps and small caps um, because they don't want to be sitting with their hands behind their ass you know, if another AMC sort of scenario happens or another GMC sort of situation happens. So, so because they have algos and they have access to the same data, but even at a faster rate, they're able to pump their money into this shit too. And they can get out much faster. So what I'm saying is like, for sure, people should be careful. And I would say a, a, a two key indicators to look at would be the VIX, right? So right now the VIX is very low in, in, in my sense. It's a very safe safe market environment when the vix is at 20 where it's at now or 19 and you know point whatever it's very safe right like it's a very safe trading environment right now if that vix drops above you know it goes above 30 yeah you you should be you should be very worried you should definitely triple out of your positions but 
if the VIX starts dropping below 19 and a half, right, you just scroll back the chart to 2003. I think you'll probably run into a scenario, but instead of taking five years up to 2008, I think you're going to be looking at a scenario that will probably happen like in a year and a half, but it will be probably the most bullish season this world has ever seen. So I'd say <laughs> two scenarios, either 60% chance it's going to be the most bullish season this world has ever seen uh, for the next year and a half, or 40% chance when these nano caps and these micro caps get their money pulled from the hedge funds, people are going to panic. There's The algos are going to go off. There's going to be a, a quick flash crash for about three days. And then the volume is going to kind of be died down because people have lost so much money that they're going to be worried to jump back into the investments. And there's going to be a little bit of a lull and it will be like a slow sort of rise, right? Those are the, those are the two scenarios that I see playing out. Obviously, I'm not an expert. I'm not a financial advisor. I, I, I'm talking out of my ass to some degree, but I've been looking at these things like my entire life. And, and I would say that th those are pretty... I think pretty good scenarios uh, of what could possibly occur. Um, I, I think right now for investors like that are scared or whatever, definitely do not put you know your money all in one basket. Don't YOLO your your situation. Uh, be very wary. Um, you know, look at look at a stock if it's if it's way you know way high in the chart. You know, always got to trim some off the table. Don't put your 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 money into situations that could just flash crash and you lose it. Um, you know, there, there's definitely, there's definitely stocks out there, even, you know, tech stocks and things like that. Like Adobe is probably pretty safe. You got, there's a lot of stocks that still exist that are still probably pretty good priced. that even during a flash crash, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be painfully hurt. Uh, and if you diversify enough, I think you'd be fine. And if you really want to be safe, you could obviously just, you know, put your money in bonds or something. I mean, there's, there's always investments out there. I, I don't think that people should just be oh, there's a flash crash. I'm just going to wait for the market to come down. The market's not going to come down if new money keeps flowing in. And new money's not going to stop flowing in. It's not just like, oh, boom, because this, that, and the other. I mean, you already have QE, you know, pushing up the market to some degree. I mean, if if QE got pulled out, yeah. I mean, if there was a world war, yeah, for sure. If there was a catalyst event, for sure. But from what I'm seeing, I don't, I don't see any way that this is not, you know, aside from those two scenarios. What about um, what about a scenario where you know the dollar is the reserve currency worldwide, and if there is some sort of stimulus package and the buying continues, quantitative easing, you know, it seems like they'll continue to have to print more money, um, which you know would increase inflation. Uh, and then if I think the problem is the world doesn't have a better alternative to the U.S. dollar right now, but if if they were to get off, right, if the U.S. dollar was no longer the world's reserve currency, uh, I think we'd be in a much more vulnerable situation. I, 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 don't, I don't think that the inflation is going to cause a massive crash. Um, and if you look at any of the situations now, and especially after what had occurred with coronavirus and the way that these investors are looking at it, um, it's sometimes scary in the sense that every single time these stocks are crashing. I mean, not not the some of these stocks, right? But the the stocks that like have an earnings report or whatever, and then they they get fucking dumped. There's a lot of them that like every single dip, it gets bought up. Like every single time, like boom, it crashes, boom, it crashes, boom. Like there's there's a lot of money that's actually still not in the market that's in these people's accounts, right? There's still a lot of money of people that are sitting on the sidelines that are just waiting for any sort of news to say 
the market's at an all-time low. They've they've looked at it from from yeah. from a standpoint of, well, if we would have bought at the bottom of any one of these crashes in the entire history of the world, we would be fucking super rich. Okay. Yeah. What isn't uh, what is it? The bond market isn't it like four times larger than the stock market? And the, the bond, bond market returns. is at an all time low, right? Like there's no right. one putting money in bonds right now. So, so people are fleeing that for anything else, for equities, for stocks, yep. um, because the, the investment is so high. And now what I'm seeing with the, the micro caps that should be going up or the mega caps that should be going up, Apple should be up more. Facebook should be up more. Like NVIDIA did just break out of its, its channel uh, and it hit like 610 or something. Like some of them are kind of getting there. But NVIDIA was in a channel for months. I mean, like really a long time, like not moving. AMD, not moving. You know, Intel, not moving. These these stocks, like they're not, they're pulling their money out of them. And they're putting in into these, these sort of scenarios where they can jump in and jump out and make some quick cash. And I think- And when, when you say channel, you're referring to uh, like chart uh, lines and momentum signals? Uh, I'm, I'm referring to um, resistance and support levels. Uh, so like if you, uh, on, on a simple standpoint, if you just draw a line from its previous high or like its previous high to its previous low and you draw horizontal lines on both of those, or sometimes, I mean, there could be a channel up, but I, I'm talking about more horizontal channels where, where they're like literally just going sideways. They're just like, going sideways for, for a very long period of time. Um, right. So there's low momentum. Like there, there's, there's momentum nothing, there's signal. nothing, these guys, they, they're not selling their positions and they're not buying their position. They're not buying anything more. They're just. They're just sitting there. Right. There's there's no volatility. There's no momentum. Right. There's it's just like it's just going up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down, but evening out by the end of it. Um, usually, what happens in these, if they're not parallel, which a lot of these actually are parallel, but if they're not parallel and they form a triangle, once they hit the point of the triangle, they're going to break out one way or the other, right? Because if you're bouncing up and down off the different triangle things, eventually it's going to break out to one degree area of the other. It's it's actually pretty beautiful how mathematically and algorithmically or whatever the, the the actual word is how these charts are i mean they are like to a t predictable like it's not even you you might not be able to predict exactly where it's going to go you might not be able to predict the direction to some degree like you want you like you might be wrong but you could for sure just with some basic understanding of how it works know that this one is going to make a big move pretty soon here you're going to know that this one, if it doesn't do this, it's going to do this. I mean, it's like it, every single time. I mean, there's definitely there was a scenario of two days ago that like maybe feels so good because this guy yoloed all of his money on this penny stock that I would never touch. It went from 0. 0.007 to 0. 0.8. Okay, at 0. 0.8, I'm like, if I was you, I would sell it all, but I'm not you. So maybe just trim off what you initially put in. You put in your entire savings account. He's like, yeah, but I'm at $12,000. What if it goes higher? I'm like, sir, this thing went 120 times, 120 times. I would say within the next couple of days, it's going to drop to the 50% FIB, which is 0.43. And I go, it's not going to go to, it's, it, it's not going to go to the 38 or the 61. It's not going to go to the 61 because the, the velocity of it is too high. It's not going to go to the 38 because the volume's uh, too high. So it's going to go to the 50, and I think it's going to go to 0.43. And the next day, the next day, the guy goes, I'm not selling. You're an idiot. The next day, I went to 0.43. I did a screenshot of both my fucking thing, and I said it to him yesterday. I, I I, was like, fuck, dude. Like, how predictable are these charts? It's like it's it's just absolute brilliance when you look at them sometimes. 
Um, and it just sucks that some of these kids are just like, they're not going to sell. They just refuse to sell. Like the GameStop scenario, I bought in at $3 at AMC. I sold it at 17.75. I bought it again, uh, I, I think at, I don't know, eight, $8 or something. I sold it at 14. Like it, it was, it's, it's very easy to know like where they're going to bounce to. It's just not, it's not hard. Um, I'm not saying that like in a cocky side of ways. I'm saying that like, if they're, if they're a stock that's like parabolically going or going in an erratic fashion, you have to use some sort of tech, uh, technical analysis because there is no fundamentals there. It's not worth the money that it's, it's being pumped to. And so, yeah, as far as like to reiterate on your previous question, there's going to be crashes for sure. I mean, the, some of these things, the cannabis thing, it's got to eventually come down, right? That money could be violent for people. It could go down 90% in the cannabis thing. Like that's, that's a realistic thing. It, it, it could, it could tank like that. Um, but it might not, it might continue to rise and it might stabilize, have a little bit of a pullback and, and be fine long-term, you know, or maybe just some of them, you know, I think in certain sectors from what I'm seeing, you're going to see a dot-com boom for sure. You know, you're going to see like maybe in the cannabis situation, you're going to see maybe like one or two rise. Um, They all fall and then one or two rise like an Amazon scenario, right? They just all can't succeed at the same time. But I think what you are seeing though, especially the fact of like how I'm seeing some of these small ones pump is there is more money than there is stocks. There's just far more money than there is stocks. Um, And people don't want to invest in these boring ass stocks that they could, that are very low PEs, that are very good valued companies. They just don't want them. They just, they, they just don't want the smuckers of the world. Um, but in general, that that's just how the, that's just how the world, you know, kind of works. People are going to pay for an overpriced thing that might not be worth it, but everybody wants it. Um, but I don't think that's going to destroy the world's economy. I don't think the inflation of the dollar is going to destroy the world's economy. I think that um, we will be fine unless there's some global catastrophe. Yeah, well, it's, that's a lot to take in. There's, um, how'd you learn most of this like technical analysis stuff? A lot of chart reading. Uh, a lot. It, it actually, like if I showed you what I like, what, how to do it, it's, it's beautiful. I mean, it is like, it is so amazingly beautiful. I can, I've gotten so fast with it that I can literally parse through a list of like a hundred stocks, um, in a two hour period and then chart it all out. And then the next day parse through that same list and know exactly which one to buy and exactly which one to sell or trim, you know, like it's because once you chart it out, it's, it's there forever. So, and then you, there's the amount of indicators out there. I mean, there's like all of these indicators that like, if you need an edge on your decision, man, you, you got it right there. You got, you got all the things you want, all the data there. It's, it's there. And then you can also to, to figure out new ones to jump into, you can scan the entire sector. You can sort by whatever information you want. You could look at dark pool orders. You could see where the money's getting put at. Oh, these people are putting, they're buying a hundred million dollars. This they're buying $5 million of this. I see orders on the fucking uh, you know this, you can see where the level two support levels are. If you have a brokerage that gives you level two access, you can see where the level two support levels are. You can see where the level two resistance levels are. You just, it's, it's free. If you're not a financial trader, you can go into any one of your brokerages. Typically I use TD Ameritrade. You go into the settings, you say subscribe to level two, uh, real time data, and they'll show you the support and resistance levels for the orders. Uh, but then there's also a lot of software out there that you can pay for and they'll give you dark full information. They'll give you, you know, all this extra shit, but 
when you look at it all, it's just, I think for me, it's, it's less about the money and more about my fascination with just how amazingly all connected it is. It's almost like, um, it, 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 I don't know. It's, it's, it's some form of beauty in, in, in that sense. It's, uh, it, it can be pretty incredible. Um, and I, I think for the majority of, of, of my trading career, I've made a lot of bad decisions with it. Um, and I think that there is a problem of the access access of there's too much information. So like now when I trade, I don't really use 90% of it. I don't need to like that shit just fucks up your trading. When you have access to all these different things, um, you don't really need all of those, those, you know, you don't need all of that information to make a really good decision. Um, but it's good to know it. Uh, but I, I, you know, when I first got into options, I blew up half my account. I lost 55% of my account value in 45 days at the bottom of the coronavirus, buying options, not understanding IV, thinking I was going to make millions of dollars. Uh, maybe not thinking I was going to make millions of dollars, but just not understanding how fast these things can flip. So I stopped trading with options this year and I started trading again, like the last two weeks. It's been doing fantastic again. But I understand that like it's all about bet sizing. It's all about sizing, right? You're not, do never put, um, one of my friends, and I warned him, he decided he he got his account up in four months. We've been talking every day. He's got his account up from 40, like 40,000 to $95,000. Um, and in the last five days, he decided to buy nine Amazon calls. Some of them were spreads, but just how an option works, it's 100 shares of Amazon. It's a lot of fucking money. Well, within the last five days, I think Amazon's only probably dipped 2%. Um, but his options expired worthless, right? Like, that 2% whatever. And then even the ones longer out, they, the theta decay just killed him. So he ended up losing. Uh, he's now down to, uh, you know, $31,000, you know, in five days because he didn't understand options. Uh, so it, it can be risky out there for somebody that doesn't know what the fuck they're doing. Uh, but if he would have been right on that and Amazon would have fucking skyrocketed, I mean, he would have had half a million dollars, you know, probably, you know, he could have had at least 200,000 for sure. So it, the, if you, if you just, you know, you just got to be smarter with your bets. And I think like only putting, you know, uh, one or 2% into an option, you know, maybe in total, your entire account, 5% max into options, never put more than 5% of your total account value into options. Um, I think that that's a good position to have because you got to, you got to understand these options could expire worthless. 98% of options do expire worthless. Um, so it's usually better to be on the selling side, but if you're going to buy an option, they're probably going to expire worthless. So only put like 5% of your account in it, um, you know, and, and that sort of, you know, scenario. But it, I think it's like a long-term hold investor. It might be a difficult time right now to know what to invest in because of the fact that they might be in stocks that should be going up and they're not. And they might be seeing other stocks that are going up that shouldn't be. So it can be confusing for sure. On that side, sure. And there's definitely that element of like FOMO and right. And, uh, you know, it's it's funny because it's so deeply going back to kind of what we were originally talking about. It's like psychology and gamification, and you know that reward feedback loop, um, which I think is is kind of what can make it sort of, I guess, an opportunity, but also what's so dangerous about it because we're why we're wired to think this way we're wired to um seek those 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 highs of risk and reward um but 
it's it's also you know there's there's like real there's real like money on the line there's real uh risk to putting your whole life savings like that tangible like this you're not going to be able to afford rent or, or right. you know food or medical bills or whatever it is um and it's it's hard to kind of balance all those those things i think as far as just naturally uh, and, and and like i said like i think the thing that was the game changer for me this year is just trying to get literally i'm not even kidding you it sounds so stupid but trying to get 0.25 or 0.5% a day that's my goal if i reach that goal i i put in position sort of stops and and and, and balances and hedges I, I don't need to get into it to make sure that it's not going to go below that number right so like as long as I, and this year i've only had two red days and one day where i was pretty much dead even or up like 10 bucks or something but only two red days this entire year. So, and both of those were dumb decisions by me. They were like, I broke my rules. Like I have rules and I broke them. Both days were me breaking my rules. One of them was like, it's going, I, I look at the charts, look at the indicators. I'm like, it's going to take a big dump and I'm, I'm, I should get out of this and I should do this. And I'm like, I got greedy. So I've, I've, my main rules are like, don't get fucking greedy. Like ever, just don't get greedy. I think the greed is is the worst part. And I think from what I'm seeing in the community of people in general, especially the ones that are, you know, doing well, but that evidently might, you know, like my friend that I said, he went up to like 40 to 95 and then boom, 31. I mean, he's, he's so depressed right now. I mean, he's like, I just talked to him yesterday. I mean, he does not feel good. Um, but it's, it's the fact of once, I, I, this is the last point I kind of really want to make on this is that once you are in a position um, and it goes up a lot or goes down a lot, unfortunately, just the psychology of the mind, I feel, is you lose the logic aspect of the trade or just your entire account in general. You you lose the ability, not everybody, but I guess what I'm saying is it turns it from a logical trade to an emotional trade. And, and inherently, you're going to have some sort of bias. You're not a computer. And so once that happens... Um, and in fact, I, I've had this conversation with Peter because even though I have very good emotional control, Peter's seen me go through ups and downs in my life. So Peter's like, I know you know a lot of it, and I know a lot more than I did that. But he was like, just build a fucking algorithm for this. And I'm like, Peter, unfortunately, I can't because a lot of these things, it, it's it's too eyeball. It's too like on the fly. Certain things matter in certain situations and certain things don't. Um, so it's really hard to make an algorithm that would be like, oh, use these methods during this situation. Use don't use these methods during this. You like, but anyways, what I'm saying is like, when people start trading off of emotion, and whether they won a lot or they lost a lot, um, then it turns into a greed situation. And so a lot of these t- scenarios, or like, you know, uh, the the guy deep who who bought these GME calls, and you look at his account, he's posting his thing got up to fifty million dollars, right, in the GME calls. And granted, I think he started with five or ten thousand dollars, and he held it this whole way. But he held it for no. He knows the technical analysis. He should know that it's going to fall at that point. Like, I mean, it was, it was pretty obvious. I think that anybody that does TA, the GMA was going to fall right there. Like, it was. It, I mean, it was like a ninety percent certainty that it was going to fall. Right? Like, it, there was no fucking way. You, you know, like I, I I sold my AMC a little early. Like, I could have sold it. I think at like nineteen. I sold it at seventeen point seven five. But you know, it's going to fall right there, right? But my point is, he held it all the way down, and then he posts. It's now worth a million dollars. And I'm thinking to myself, like, who's he proven a point to? And then I think like probably the end of it, and probably now it, it might be worth five hundred or two hundred and fifty thousand. And so my point is is like, why would you do that? Like to prove a point to what? Or is it the greed that made you not do the technical analysis that put you into the position in the first place? And granted, 
he still has a huge upside. And maybe he didn't sell because he's thinking all these people are relying on me. And if I sell, then they're going to sell and they might lose money. I don't fucking know what was going through the guy's head. All I'm just saying is that's a, that's a pretty professional trader right there that made a, that bad decision. And there's a lot of ill professional traders that make these emotional decisions. And that's how you know I blew up my account last year. And this year, I think my strategy is if I get into an emotional position, um, uh, you know, it, it, and I feel like I'm way too emotionally trapped. Usually I just trim, but if I feel I'm way too emotionally trapped to a position, I just sell it. I sell the whole position. I delete it from my watch list and I move on because I, I just can't, I can't like be that sort of attached to that. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and that's why, like, I also don't trade crypto like daily anymore because crypto, it's like, if you get out of it, and then the entire sector goes up. Now you have some really bad fear of missing out. Whereas in the stock market, you get out of a trade and there's plenty of other opportunities out there. So it's it's interesting. I mean, I think what you're saying is there's a mix between rules and emotion because like we, we've had this conversation. And my argument is if you are saying emotion's bad, you do have a list of rules you trade on. You can backtest that trading strategy, right? You can say right? Here's, here's the chart. Here are the, here are the lines. We can turn it into math. This is the, this is the angle, right? Um, and then you can say, what would that have done if I started this strategy three years ago, three years? Three uh, years and, ago. and I'm saying maybe in a specific sector with a specific stock during a specific time period, perhaps, but overall well, the market, no, so, it's, it would be absolutely impossible. Maybe well, if so, I had a billion dollars. Like it, no, no, but it wouldn't be possible. It's interesting because you're because it's a it's a mix. I think what you're saying, right? Because you're saying straight rules won't work, and straight emotion won't work. Right. right? Yeah. I get, so I get. You're, you're saying there's a middle ground. Yeah. And it's not no emotions, and it's not all rules. The middle way. I like it. Very Buddhist. <laughs> I, I don't know. I guess. I guess. Uh, Sergey, what are your thoughts on, on what I just kind of ranted? I mean, obviously, uh, it, it does make it sound like I, I might know more than I do. But I, what are your thoughts on just that emotional trading in general, or just like just investing and in, in, in that side of things uh, from from a standpoint of somebody that is probably not like actively, you know, heavily invested in, in, in these type of situations? Uh, to me, it's it's just it's. Um... What's what's costly is like the like the emotional labor of uh, you know having these high stress financial decisions to make on a daily basis, right? right. Like I, I, you know, I think for you know, there, I think there's partially a like how people are wired component. So if, you know, some people just handle those kinds of situations better. They they find them more enjoyable, or they find them more. Um, appealing or they have the time or, or kind of bandwidth to, to handle them. For me personally, I just, I can't do all that. You know, I would get too attached or, or just, you know, I have, I have, you know, nine to five to kind of work and other, other projects and things that, and interests. Um, so I just recognize it's not for me. Uh, I do think, you know, what you're saying about the compound interest rate, I think it's something that everyone should know. And I think there's, there's certain basic finance concepts that people should understand. Um, but it's, you know, it's also like, it, I think it's, I, I think this, this kind of thing isn't for everyone and it right. shouldn't be. I, I don't think it's, yeah, I, like I said, I think it's, there's a certain way, like how you're built versus how, um, 
you know, and, and can you actually like do it? Are you in a position to do it? Because also too, a lot of, a lot of folks are like, I got to put everything on the line, you know, or, you know, just here, let me put my stimulus checks in this. Um, right. But it, it's, you know, and then it's like, well, because it's kind of, and, and that's the thing, like it's, it's not quite investing at that point. It's more like gambling, right? So where's, where's that line between uh, investing and gambling? It's, it's not always clear because you're, you're buying the same, uh, securities, right? Um, but they're they're hoping for this huge upside. They're they're treating it like a lottery ticket. They're hoping that it that it ten hundred thousand X's. Um, and for for what they feel like, I think is is kind of like a free lunch, like relatively, you know, it's it's like no work in a sense. Like you just buy the thing, you press the button on your app, and money's in your account. Right. But what they're not, I think, anticipating is that emotional roller coaster uh, that that you can get sucked into and it just behaves like a completely like here's the the difference between most games i think and the stock market is that it doesn't behave like world of warcraft any any game you you play like call of duty you can learn the rules you can get good at playing it if you if you follow like the rules and you can kind of figure it out and learn it the stock market's not really like that you know because it's it's gonna behave completely differently it's constantly evolving it's it's not perfectly predictable. And I think that's why it's so interesting for some people because you can, it's an infinite rabbit hole. Um, but it's also why it's dangerous because it can, you can get burned because if you think you figured it out, it will behave in some unexpected way that just wrecks your model. Um, I, I, I think, um, I, I, I think I, I, I disagree with you in, in some respects and I agree with you in others. Um, and to be honest, like anyone that I talk to about this sort of subject um, they give me the sort of same comparison about the, the gambling aspect of it. Uh, and I think that, you know, in general though, like a long-term investor that is, you know, just buying investments, um, especially with compounding interest, uh, to be honest, I'm very upset with myself that I didn't, you know, even if I would have bought before the 2008 crash or before the dot com, it would have mattered. Like if I would have bought anything, um, it would have been, and just held it and never touched it. Um, on that respect, I would have been at least making some sort of return on my money that um, even if I started with just a thousand dollars compounding over the time, um, you know, that would be a, a very significant amount of money today. Um, and it, I, I think in, in the sense of like comparing it to World of Warcraft is a little bit different because World of Warcraft is a game of uh, a specific environment and a specific you know, set of rules that they just release DLC packs, right? Like, it's just like a, you know, it's just a kind of a game that, you you know, and you're fighting a different boss and this and that, but there's no really risk in the game, right? There's no, there's no, there's no penalty, but there are games that exist out there um, that have significant risks where you could, you know, lose it all. I mean, there's like an indie game that I've played. There's two indie games that I really like, like Battle Brothers and, and Darkest Dungeon, uh, where at any time in the game, um, your your entire army could be wiped out at any time in the game. You're um, and they're they're both kind of run the same in that respect. Right, at any time in the game, you could lose half of your army or whatever the situation is. Um, and and, and you would have to start over from from scratch. But the people that play those games well and they follow the rules and and those games are actually also ever evolving. Both of those are are pretty perfect examples. I think Battle Brothers is is even more so in sense because 
you're just running around a map and at any point in time, you could be attacked by a monster that you've never seen before and then has tactics and rules that you've never encountered before in your entire life. Um, and that, that new monster, if you're not well prepared or well fit for it, um, you'll die uh, instantly and your entire party will be wiped out. You could try to retreat, which would be the equivalent of like selling all of your positions at a loss uh, and still remain, you know, some somewhat substantial. But I think that if you look at it from the standpoint of, of avoiding areas that have those monsters in it, right? Um, or if, if you're going to go into an area with that monster, you're not sending your entire army. You're sending one, one troop. Um, and you, you follow a set of rules that is both offensive in the sense of you're aggressively investing into d- different you know areas, but also defensive in the sense that you put yourself at tight stop losses. You you only you know allocate a certain percentage of your account. Um, you're you're going to be great. You're going to do fine. Um, and there there, it's the people that send their entire army to the big boss without even trying to tackle any of the small armies and with ill-equipped and nothing. Um, that if they beat it, they have now their army is now equipped with the best armor and, and the best equipment, and they're ready to fight a ton of badass shit. And if they lose, they literally have to start from zero, and that's what you're seeing with Wall Street bets. Um, but if they, the problem is, is that sometimes these guys go out with nothing and they fight this big fucking monster and they beat him in this really rare odd scenario. Um, I was just reading read a post of this guy who you know basically put. Uh, $6,000 on GME calls and now he's 1.5 million. And, you know, he's like, it was like a one in a million chance. He's like, a, you know, I, this, that, and the other, but I just decided to YOLO every dollar. He took a cash advance on his credit card. I mean, some people are just fucking insane. Uh, well, but, I mean, isn't that kind of uh, social media? Right. We'll promote the, that one story and regard disregard no it, it, it that gets upvoted right so it's not like it's promoted it's just like no 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 i well i mean it is right you saw it because other people were like whoa right yeah and that's the, that's the positive other that's the, that's the positive re- no, that's what i'm saying that's the positive reinforcement he's saying like the reason he, and he even said the reason i didn't post this is because 90 percent of the you know other people probably lost all their money right that's what he said into the post but 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 the, anyways the point that i'm getting at is is the people that go out there and they have this, you know, little army, and they fight this big boss, and then they win, and they get refitted with all this new armor and new ideas. But then they they decide to go and fight another big boss again, right? They're not, they're not even like they're not playing the game. I think the the true game is you you grind the small monsters, the easy areas. You take the the easy wins, um, and there's a lot of them out there. I mean, all you. Like realistically, if I were to recommend something to an investor without having him to learn anything about the stuff, like any of the shit that like I know to to know, um, it the the pretty easy play um, would probably be to watch a video on support levels and l- just go through charts and find ones that fell to some sort of support level, right? Like fell to some sort of support level and buy some shares in that, and then just scan the entire market and just keep doing that. I bought, you know, a bunch of shares in Qualcomm and Harley Davidson recently. Do I think those are going to go parabolic? No, but Harley Davidson hit a support level. Qualcomm hit a support level. It It's the only thing I would say somebody to do is if you buy, and then I'd set a super tight lo- stop loss below the support level. And I would say that would be the easiest decision. As far as a long-term investor goes, I think 
and 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 you want to just set it and forget it, then fuck all the support levels, fuck all that shit. Just pick a couple companies that that you really like that have solid fundamentals, and you know just buy and hold. But I I think the gambling aspect comes when you're playing the game just to to try to fight the biggest armies to get the biggest rewards. And you don't really care at that time. You will eventually, but you don't care at the time if you your entire army gets wiped. Um, See, so I'm kind of in. Uh, so I used to right, design trading algorithms and was all about you know testing it, the rules, trying to figure out that industry, that niche. But now, more personally, um, I've kind of come around to that second side of it. Basically, you know, I just always add money consistently, same time, same amount. And then we'll just pick a few stocks and I don't plan on selling those for at least a year. And I think that's um, that as far as the and, 98% out there, that's the best idea. And I, I have like very little emotional, like, you know, if, if, if it went to zero tomorrow, that's not great, but it's not like it's going to affect my day to day. And I, and I spend probably less than 15 minutes a week, you know, right on that. And I, it is just it, the time to emotional turmoil is almost nothing. Right. Um, and, and I think, I think in general, I think that's what most people should do. Um, for me personally, I think you, you have access to a lot of information and if you, just even look at some of, you know, some different types of data and you, you just kind of, just kind of, you know, take away from this and add to this. Like, for example, like if you were betting on the, the cannabis sector right now and you had a bunch of money in the can- cannabis sector, I would probably trim a little bit off the top, right? Like and just take a little bit of those profits and put them into something more stable and sound, right? Because if you put, let's even say you only put five or 10% of your portfolio into the cannabis sector. Now that portfolio, if depending on where you bought it, but now that portfolio is that went up five times, you know, like, I don't know how, what point you bought it in, but let's say you bought it at a good spot, went up five times. That's now like overtaking a large percentage of your portfolio. Um, and so at that point you, you probably should want to trim it back down to that original 10% level, right? Like in my opinion, and that would be the only adjustments I would say to somebody that's not really paying attention to it, but to, to just figure out like where your money's in, right? Like to figure just, you should like people buying stocks randomly. That's fine. And I think they'll do, you'll do just fine and adding money over time. Sure. And like my 401k that's doing great. And I just kind of, you know, change the sectors around maybe once every year or something. But I think like if, if you have the extra time just to check it every once in a while, um, I don't see the point to not, like notice, okay, if this thing's doing really well or this thing, you know, I, there's just too much data and access for the average retail investor that I think that people should try to at least understand what they're invested in to some sort of a degree. Um, in, 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 a, in a quick little funny note, uh, I was talking to somebody and he was trying to tell me, it was yesterday, and he was trying to tell me how Neo was going to overtake Tesla. And uh, we're, we're all on Discord with each other. We're like, you know, yelling and having fun. And I was like, it's, it's, it's not going to happen. Um, this, that, and the other. And obviously I like, I don't know for sure, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm pretty confident when I say that statement. So then I say to myself, I say to him, I go, all right, fine. If you could tell me who the CEO, he, he talks about all this 
DD, like all the shit he knows about the batteries and this and that and all these things that Neo is doing, right? Like that he probably picked up from different links. And I go, okay, fine. If you could tell me who the CEO is, then I'll believe you. The Neo is going to overtake Tesla. Three, two, one. He goes, I can't pronounce his name. I said, you can't pronounce William? And then everybody in the chat was like, damn. But that's my point is like, why are you so gung-ho and emotionally attached to Neo? You don't even know anything about them. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, that's where I think the, the side of gambling really comes in. You can't predict the future. You don't know if this company is actually going to do really well. Um, I think diversifying very heavily um, or buying into multiple different ETFs. Uh, I, I, I think that that's, that's like what I'm doing. You know, like I'm, I'm very diversified. I have, you know, very different, you know, scenarios for that. I, um, I mean, that's really kind of all I wanted to finish off by saying in that, in this entire topic of investing. But, uh, the, the reason I wanted to bring it up is because of the, the AMC and the GME sort of situations and, and, and the parabolic aspects of it and the people that are fearful to get into investing, I don't think should be, um, I don't think that they should be worried that the market is going to completely crash and that they're going to lose their money. Um, I think that people should be eager to put money into equities um, as long as they understand, you know, just don't put all your eggs in one basket. Um, and I think, you know, people, real estate or any other types of investment, people should be considering these types of situations because you want your money to be doing something. Um, yeah. I think that's a that's a great place to uh, uh, kind of wrap up this podcast. We were, <laughs> Thanks for listening for the last hour and a half. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, my summary from what you've said, Mike, is just like turn turn your money into things that make money as opposed to money into things you spend stuff on. Yeah, and I, I didn't even realize how shot. long of a, a tangent I went on. I'm sorry. Like uh, oh, no, there's other topics I wanted to talk about too. I just, I'm very <laughs> passionate about that one. Um, fuck. Well, so yeah, Sergey, do you have any uh, closing remarks? Mike, it was great having you on, man. It was... Uh, Definitely a fascinating subject. You know, stocks are something I you know, have invested in for years and, and you know, constantly been fascinated by. And especially with everything going on right now, there's always some some fun story. But you know, this this year has been so weird. I mean, this, you know, kind of rolling in 2020. But, um, you know, it's uh, and it's it's interesting to see that kind of play out in, in an investment kind of ways. I think going into this conversation, I knew there was going to be a lot more that we would want to touch on that we than we had time for. Right. Um, you know, I think we, you know, we'll, we'll probably have you back on, you know, really soon. But uh, you know, I think it's been a great chat and definitely give me some some homework and stuff to learn. Uh, definitely, definitely some resources out there that I need to take a look at. Mike, do you have any closing remarks either? Any? Do you want people to reach out to you or things that they could check out or anything like that? Um, I, I would say, uh, as far as like, I mean, just to kind of, you know, wrap up that point, um, there, there's, there's a couple of websites that I would say that people should, you know, maybe just kind of look into because they're just, you know, good for that type of information. Uh, I think finviz, F-I-N-V-I-Z.com, um, you don't need the, you know, you can just use the free version. Um, it's probably one of the best websites in terms of trying to identify and find stocks um that you want to invest in it has you know you can divide things by sectors and you know allocate in, in those regards um actually you know i'll just leave it with just that website there's there's a lot of websites out there but uh finviz is probably like the number one i would say that people should check out um in terms of just like an initial investor what's cool about it too 
is that it does a lot of this like uh, technical analysis as you're just scrolling through the charts. It will show trend lines and things like that. So you don't even have to know how to do technical analysis. You can just see the lines right there. Um, it you can see the news. You can look at it as a map of the all the sectors aggregated into like one big picture. It breaks it down into so many different ways, um, and it's 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 free. So I mean, I I wouldn't see why somebody shouldn't use that. It has news. You can you can look at upgrades. You can look at earnings. You, I mean that that's pretty good. Actually, investing.com uh, I would say is the second one because you can look up different calendars and, and different information. Um, it's got like earnings cal- calendars and things like that. If you wanted to get a little bit more deeper into like the news, uh, Fed policy, things like that, there's like the, it tells you about upcoming events in situations like that uh but yeah th- that's about it and um i really am happy to be on here and i'm happy to uh you know be discussing with you guys like these type of things and i'm sorry if i went off on a little bit of a tangent uh for sure there was just a lot i wanted to say and uh it, it the hard thing about any topic is like once you say one thing it's like well i gotta give the the other information about it so that they understand what i'm saying about this so i uh, i'm very sorry about that um, but I'm, I'm would love to have come back on and, you know, I've listened to your other podcasts. They're absolutely fantastic. And I would recommend anybody else to go through and, you know, if they're listening to this one to listen to the other ones as well. Um, and I, I really love what you guys are doing here. I, I hope this, you know, continues because this is a very, very beautiful platform where I think, uh, could really expand and, and get a lot of different ideas from a lot of different types of people. That's awesome. Well, we appreciate the positive feedback and thanks for, making it awesome by being a part of it. So that wraps up uh, episode eight. Uh, See you next week.